If you got your Bibles, and I pray that you do, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 66. I'm not going to read it again since uh, Ralph has already read it. Um, did we get the outlines today? Y'all know if, did y'all get outlines? All right, good. There is outlines for this message if you would like one. So today is Mother's Day, and we want to um, do our best to do two things today. I want to honor the mothers, and I want to honor God in the same process. And so um, that's what today's Scripture is focused toward, and that's what we're going to try to accomplish today from the Word of God. But, um, you know, there is no love, I don't believe, as far as in the world goes there is no greater love than, than what I would say the mother's love. Not, not to say that the dad's love is any less as far as um, it being equal in the amount of love, but there is something about a mother's love. And so, you know, I'm thankful today, I, um, I can't help but think about what Nick would have said about today. He always accused me of trying to make him preach on Father's Day, and, um, and I would get to preach on Mother's Day, so I would get to come in here and shower all of you mothers with praises and flowers. And then on Father's Day, Nick would have to come in here and line all y'all fathers up and each come around and kick you in your ears say, get it right, guys. But, um, but we, it is. There is just something different about a mother's love. You know, I can remember um, one of my most comforting places as a kid. I loved to lay in my mother's lap and let her scratch my back. Anybody know anything about that? I figured there may be a few people, but... Love to lay in my mom's lap, or um, or just to to hug my mom. You know, it was. Um, I'm so thankful for the for the gift of my mother, and I am blessed to be able to still have her with us today. I know there are many of you today that um, today may be a struggle for you, uh, maybe because of the fact that your your mother is no longer with you, or maybe your child is no longer with you, or whatever the case may be. But I guess if I had anything to say to you today, I would ask you to try your best to um, to remember. The Lord didn't just take away, He also gave. And so, you know, if, if, if you're missing your mother today, then I would say to you to try to, even in the midst of your tears, to try to be thankful and praise God for the fact that, that He gave you the gift of, of a mother. And so, um, and so I hope that you can find some reason to celebrate today uh, for your mother, and, um, and we're going to focus on, on her today. Before I get there, I want you to understand that... Um, the Scripture does not teach us that God is our mother. All right. Now, whenever we go through these Scriptures, it's going to sound like that we may be able to refer to God as God our mother. But the Bible does not teach us that. The Bible teaches us that God is our Father in relation to us. And so it's important that we understand that. Let me show you just a few Scriptures to prove that to you. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, uh, Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray. And He says to them, you pray like this. Does He say, pray our mother who is in heaven? No, He says you pray our, our Father who is in heaven. He relates to us in, in a fatherly way. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, we have another example of, um, uh, of Jesus teaching. And He says to them, He says, call no, man on, on, call no man your father on earth. Now, He's not saying as far as our physical fathers, literally biological fathers. 
He's talking about the fact that there were many in this day and time, many teachers who, who liked to, to be respected with the term father. Uh, you still have that in some denominations and faiths today, that, that they, the, the leaders of those faiths want to be known as father, um, father this, father that. And, and Jesus is very clear in His teaching. He says, you don't call no man on this earth your father other than your physical father. But instead, as far as spirituality goes, as far as religion goes, you have one Father, and He is in heaven. So again, we relate to God as our Father. John chapter 14, verse 6 through 7. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Me. And then He says, if you had known Me, you would have known My Father also from now for, from now on, you do, not, you do know Him and you have seen Him. Look with me at one last one, and there are many, but look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, and because you are sons, Jesus has made us sons of God. He says, because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Literally, this could be translated as, my daddy, um, my daddy and, and my father. And so this is, this is who we relate to God as. Now, at the same time, God does choose to relate to us as far as image goes uh, to help us understand more of His characteristics, more of um, His personality toward us. He uses images of mothers, and that's what you saw in Isaiah chapter 66, is that God used an image of a mother's comfort, an image of a mother's care, an image of a mother's love to be able to demonstrate to you the way that God is going to love His children in the new creation. I've told this story before, but I can remember um, one of the things that I can remember about my mother's love for me is that um, when I was in trouble, my mother, especially when I deserved to be in trouble, my mother was my protector. And so... Um, my mother was always the one that was trying to help me get out of that trouble or get out of too much discipline. She was always trying to, to hold back the wrath of Daddy. Um, I don't know if anybody else knows that. Some of the most terrifying words my mother could say were, wait till... That's right. Wait till your father gets home. And so fathers were known for their discipline or, or supposed to. They're supposed to be the, the leaders of the family. But I can remember one day that... Um, I had got into a lot of trouble. I went to spend the night with my grandparents on my mother's side. And I did this so that I could sneak out that night and go with some of my other friends to do things that we shouldn't be doing. Now, I was young and dumb, okay? A long time ago. This is my past, so don't hold this against me. But um, my grandparents that night, when they went to bed, I, we saw the opportunity. Me and my cousin had stayed together, and we snuck out, and we told them we were going coon hunting, because that's what you did back then at nighttime. So we did. We went out, and they expected us to be out, but we didn't come back. It was like uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, and we weren't back. And so we went out, and we did some things, which I'm not going to tell you what we did, because my mother will hear this on the radio, and to this day, as far as she knows, I was coon hunting. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it, all right? But whenever we got back, we, we come back into town, and one of our friends said, where have y'all been? And we said, well, we've been doing this and this and this. And they said, why? What's the big deal? And they said, everybody is looking for y'all. 
And I said, what do you mean everybody? They had everybody out looking for us. So our grandparents knew that we weren't back, didn't know what was going on. So everybody's out looking for us. Everybody's calling, trying to figure out where we are. Well, whenever um, we get back to my grandparents, my friend was going to drop me off. And we told him, we said, here's what you do. You drive by real slow. And when you get close to the barn, we're just going to roll out of the car. And so we did. We come up, and, um, and he got down to, I think, about 25 or 30 mile an hour, which he thought was slow, and we thought sounded slow enough. We found out later it wasn't slow enough, because when we hit the ground, we went, oh, it was terrible. But anyway, we got out. We went to the barn where we had put our guns, because we were coon hunting. We got our guns, and we went back to my grandparents' house, and my mother was there. And so, but my dad wasn't there. See, my dad knew. He knew. And so he didn't come. But my mother was there. And she picked me up and she didn't say anything to me. I got in the vehicle and she went to take me home. When we got to the bottom of the driveway, we lived on a big hill. Right before we went up the driveway, Mama parked and put the van, had a minivan back there and put it in park. And I'm sitting in the front seat beside of her and she said, Kevin, she had tears streaming out of her eyes and she said, Kevin, do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? <laughs> you see, Daddy was waiting at the top of the hill. And she really thought that day, Daddy's going to kill Kevin. And can I testify to you today that Daddy tried? <laughs> But Mama's love was there to kind of help intervene. But nobody loves like Mama loves. Even when you're in your worst. You know, one of the most famous sayings that I believe I, I looked up sayings about mothers, and one of the ones that I found was um, is that He has a face that only a... And so, you know, there's just... And, and so we, what we see there is that a mother's love is just different. And God uses this image of the way that a mother loves to display the way that God is going to love and care for us in the new Zion, as we just sung about just a few minutes ago. But that's not the main point of the Scripture. And in order to stay true to the text, I want to show you the main point of the Scripture. And so, if you would look with me at um, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 12 through 19. We'll read through those very quickly. Isaiah 65, verse 12 through 19. God is talking to um, two groups of people here. He's talking to His children who are truly His children and people who claim to be His children but don't really follow Him. And so in verse 12, He says, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes, and you chose, remember that word, you chose what I did not delight in. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for the breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, and the Lord God will put you to death. But His servants He will call by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall share by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and hidden from your eyes, 
For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind anymore. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And what you have here is a picture of the new Zion, the new Jerusalem. He is destroying the old, He is doing away with the old religious system, and He is bringing a new Zion into creation. And so what He says here is that my servants and the ones that know Me, they're going to inherit the keys of the new Zion. And we are going to walk with Him and live with Him forever. And there is going to be gladness and singing and joy. And yet, the ones that don't know Him, of course, are going to be just the opposite. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be thirsty. They're going to be put to shame. Cry out for pain of heart. Shall well. So again, the main point of the text here is this. God's servants and the ones that are true to Him are going to inherit gladness for eternity. The ones that do not answer His call, the ones that do not listen to Him, the ones that do not delight in what He delights in, they are going to weep and wail throughout all eternity. And that is the main point of the text, okay? Um, Another place that I could prove this is in 66 verse 14. Look at 66 verse 14 where he ends his conversation to these two groups of people. He says, You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Talking about his servants. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. So again, the main point of the text when we go through this is the fact that there is a group of people that claim to be God's people. They go to church, they worship God, they do everything that this other group does except they don't answer when He calls, they don't listen to His Word, they do not choose to delight in what He delights in, but instead they choose what is evil and they choose to continue in sin. And He says, My servants, the ones that follow me, they're going to inherit the new Jerusalem and I'm going to comfort them in this new Jerusalem the way that a mother comforts her children. And then the ones that choose to reject me and not follow me, they are going to weep and wail and they are going to suffer my wrath and my indignation throughout all eternity. And so that's where we get the main point of this. I want you to notice a little context so that you understand where we're coming from right here. But... Basically, what you've got happening in Isaiah is you have the Babylonians that have came in and they have destroyed Jerusalem, all right? They have burned the temple to the ground. And now the, the, uh, the southern tribes of Israel are being led into captivity. They're going into slavery. And they are crying out to God as they are going into captivity. And they, they really are just asking God to please save them, please deliver them. And both groups of these people I, were talk, I was talking about are included in this. But if you'll look at Isaiah chapter 63, verse 15, you'll notice that this is where they begin to pray. And I'm just going to point out to you their prayer. He says, Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. 
And so as they're being led into captivity, they're crying out to God. And then if you look again down at, um, at verse uh, 64, verse 1. 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And then if you were to, uh, to continue looking at verse uh, 12 of chapter 64. Go to the last verse in it. Or actually start in verse 11. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all of our pleasant places have become ruins. And in verse 12 says, Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and will you afflict us so terribly? So do you see the context here? The context is this: these children of God are being led, these churchgoers, are being led into captivity. Their church has been burned to the ground by the enemy. Their entire city, the holy land of God, has been destroyed and burned to the ground. And now they're coming out and they're marching off to captivity, being led by the enemy, and they're saying, God, where are you at? Will you rend the heavens? Will you come down? And so God decides to answer their prayer. And He tells them, here's where I'm at. And in 65 verse 1, God answers the prayer. As a matter of fact, He goes through this and He answers the prayer. He says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good following their own devices. And what we see here is this. The entire nation of Israel has fallen into a sinful rejection of God. The whole church comes together. They go to His temple. They worship Him. They praise Him. They give their sacrifices. And yet, their life in the world, it's not... None of them are seeking Him. None of them are really going after Him. Look at with me, if you would, at 64, verse 5 and 6. And I'm going to go through these to show you their confession. 64, verse 5 and 6. They say here, You meet Him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. And in our sins we have been, what? A long time. They recognize now, we've been sinning against you a long time. And shall we be saved? And then in verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. We have all our righteous needs are like a righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And then look at verse um, 8 and 9 of the same chapter. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of Your hand. So be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not the iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all Your people. Then look at verse 10 and 11. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praise You has been burned by fire and our pleasant places have been burned to the ground. And then again, go to chapter 65, verse 2 with me. And God says to them, I have spread my hands out to you all day long. 
and yet you walk in a way that is not good following your own devices. And then in verses 3-6, through we see what they were doing. They were a people who provoked me to my face, continually sacrificing in the gardens. And I'm not going to take you back to reference Scriptures here, but basically all of these things are idolatrous practices. And they were just worshiping other things besides God. And he says, and you were making offerings on the bricks. You were sitting in tombs. And ultimately what they were doing is they were literally going to tombs and talking to the dead. Instead of inquiring of God, and instead of asking God for advice and and talking to God, they would go to the tombs of dead people and they would say, what what should we do about this? And what should we do about that? And they looked to to the dead for their guidance. And God, God despised that. And then in verses um, 10 through 11 of chapter 65, he says, You who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, you set a table for fortune and fill cups mixed wine for destiny. And again, they're going to, to, um, to uh, toothsayers and to the fortune tellers, and they're trying to, to figure out what their future is. And then he says in verse 12, I'm going to destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and you chose what I did not delight in. So here's the point. Now we're getting into you understanding what he's doing in chapter 66. There are two groups of people, okay? One group, they heard the Word of God. They're all in church together, just like you this morning, right? One group heard the Word, answered when He called, listened when He spoke, repented of their sin. They were all sinners. They were all doing things that they were not supposed to be in. But one group would hear the Word, and when God would say, I do not delight in this, you know what that group would do? They'd stop. They say, Lord, if you don't delight in this, I want to follow you. And so I'm going to turn away from these things. The other group, on the other hand, sitting in the same crowd, and God would call, and guess what? They didn't answer. God would speak. They didn't listen. God would try to correct. They didn't care. And instead, they would continue to delight in the things that God did not delight in. And this is the two groups of people. Now with that... I want you to go with me to chapter 66, and I'm going to give you an outline. We're going to start in verse 1 through 3, even though Ralph read verse 7 through 14. I want you to pick up 1 through 3, and we're going to see where God speaks to these two groups of people about His dwelling. So if you're outlining this, verses 1 through 3 are God's dwelling. And I want you to notice what He says in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All of these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now think about this again real quickly. Uh Uh-oh, somebody's in trouble. I remember them days. I remember all my daddy had to do was just turn and look at me. And you talking about the fear of God. That's that's where I experienced it for the first time. 
But anyway, what we've got right here is he wants to talk to this group of religious people about his dwelling. And he wants them to understand something. David wanted to build this temple. And you can go back to the first and second Chronicles and see this. David wanted to build this temple because he wanted to build God a place of rest, a place where God could have His throne, a place where God could have a footstool where He could rest His feet, a place where the people of God could come and bow down before His footstool and worship Him. And there are many scriptures to prove that. Just one to show you. Look at um, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 2. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for the building. And then look with me at Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. He says, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, the temple, all right? And I want you to proclaim there this word. He wants. God's people to hear this. Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. He said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. In other words, They thought this was where their safety was. They thought that as long as they went to church and as long as they did their religious acts, then they were safe, right? He said, don't trust in those deceptive words. Just because you go to church, I'm sorry to tell you this, that don't mean anything. A lot of people go to church. A lot of people go to church every time the doors are open. That ain't where your hope is. He says next, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, or if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations. Do you see what he's saying? Here's what we're getting at. God does not dwell in buildings made by men's hands and materials that He made. Are y'all tracking with me? If you come in this very sanctuary, some of y'all are going to try to throw tomatoes at me when I say this, but this is the Word of God. If you come in this very sanctuary, stand up there in what some might call the Holy of Holies, and all you did was come in this building, and you was not here to worship Him but with a life that you live, all you did was walk in another building of sticks and wood and sheetrock. That's it. This altar that you come and bow down before, it ain't nothing but wood and carpet. That's it. It is a place for you to humble yourself before Him. It is a place for you to bring your confession of your sins. 
But I need you to understand something. God does not dwell in buildings made by hand. And God does not, God is not pleased with religious acts alone. You know, Sunday morning, you couldn't fit another, uh, Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, you couldn't fit another soul in this building. I'm talking about this place was packed. You know why they do that? Because there are many people that actually believe that as long as I go to church, then God will be pleased with me. I actually know people that say these very words. Because I do this and I do this, God better be pleased with me. Yes, I know people that say that. I know people that have that mindset. And God comes to these people and He wants the, both of these groups to understand something. That temple that you just watched burn to the ground, in 2001 we watched our old church over here burn to the ground. And you know what God taught us? He don't dwell in that building. Never did. It wasn't nothing but wood and sticks and sheetrock and, and tongue and groove wood. It was beautiful. But that's all it was, was a building. God dwells in the humble and contrite hearts. Notice what He says in, um, in um, I'm sorry, where am I at? 66 verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. Literally, that word humble means to be poor, to be weak, to be needy, to be lowly. That word contrite means to be expressing remorse. When when a sinner who we all are comes before God and we come to this place together and we come with a heart that understands I am needy, I am humble, I am poor, I am weak. And my only hope is that He shows me mercy. And I express that remorse. The Bible tells us that God looks to that person. And not only does He look to them, but He dwells with them. Look with me at Isaiah uh, chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. Heaven is my throne, is what He's saying. Not Wells Baptist Church. Not Solomon's temple. Heaven is my throne, but notice what He says. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Why does He dwell with those kind of people? To revive the spirit of the lowly. To revive the heart of the contrite. To the one that expresses their remorse for their sin. To the one that understands the sinfulness that they have. And the one that stands before God with that kind of heart, God says, I dwell with that. That's where I'm at. And when I'm dwelling there, I revive it. I make it new. I wash it all away. I cleanse and I am just and faithful to forgive for all unrighteousness. No matter what it is. Look with me at another verse at Psalm chapter 51, verse 16 and 17. This is David. And he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice. Or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Or I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise this. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, we see the famous passage that we talked about in Sunday school this morning. But it's the, the tax collector and the Pharisee 
And the Pharisee goes up and he thinks that he's self-righteous. And notice what he says. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, see there's where he went wrong at first, right? You want to know something? You ain't no different than nobody else in this building this morning. That's just the truth. We're all in the same boat, as I think Kenny Chesney said. We're all in the same boat. We are all just like this tax collector. But the Pharisee stands there and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. This guy's religious, ain't he? I'm at the temple. I'm at the church. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. I ain't got nothing to bring to you. It don't matter if I come to this temple every, every Sunday. It don't matter if I give tithes every time I, I gain something. It don't matter if I fast 20 times a week. God, I ain't got nothing. that I, I am spiritually broke. And the only thing I can do is plead with you for mercy. And look what Jesus said. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself, God will exalt. And this is the kind of heart that each and every one of us need to be able to see in ourselves. God, I have nothing to offer. Nothing I can do. All I can do is plead for Your mercy because I know who I am and I know who You are. And that's all I can do. And God said, the one who has that kind of heart, I dwell there. That is the kind of place that I live. And so that's the first thing He tells people in Isaiah 66. He tells both groups, I'm not dwelling in that temple and that holy city and all that stuff. If you want to dwell with Me, there ain't but one place you dwell with Me. And that's in a humble and contrite heart. That's where I dwell. The only other place is high and lifted up in heaven. That's where I dwell. Then in verses 4-6, through six, we move to God's Word. And very simply, God just speaks to His enemies and He also speaks to His servants. Look at verse 4-6. through six. Or actually, start in verse 3. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. In other words, he's just saying, all of your religious acts, when your heart is not humble and contrite for your sin, and all you do is worship and sing and give religious things, it is worse than the sinner's sin to me. It's polluted. It's terrible. Religion does nothing for God. But He speaks His Word in verse 4. I also will choose harsh treatment for them. For the ones that won't listen. For the ones that won't turn. For the ones that won't dwell in a humble and contrite heart. I choose harsh treatment for you. And then keep going with me. And not only that, I'm going to bring their fears upon them. Your worst fears that you've ever had, you're going to experience them. You're going to realize them. 
Why? Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes, and here's that word again, and they chose that which I did not delight in. You know, here's the thing you need to understand. Being saved is by faith alone. It is. But God gives you a new desire. I want to be pleasing to God. I have a desire in me. It breaks me when I'm not pleasing to God. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And now, whenever I desire to be pleasing to God, I want to hear His Word. I want to know, God, what is it that You want me to do? And I want to follow that. But there are many here that believe that being saved is just about praying a prayer. It's just about bowing down at an altar. No, being saved is about a new creation. And it is about delighting in the things that God delights in. And now every day I want to make choices to delight in what God delights in. Now, does that mean that I don't ever find delight in things that God abhors? No, I do. And when I do, it breaks my heart. And when I do, I have that broken and that contrite spirit and I come back to Him for forgiveness. And so what we see here are two different groups of people. God's Word to the group that truly is not saved because they don't listen, they don't answer, they just are religious. God's Word to them, harsh treatment, and your worst fear is going to be brought upon you. God's Word to the other group, look with me in verse 5. Hear the Word of the Lord, you who tremble at His Word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, the sound from the temple, that's actually the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to His enemies. And here's what He's saying right here in layman's terms. He wants you to understand that for those that tremble at His Word, these people were being mocked because they followed God you're going to begin to experience more of that in today's culture. Because if you stand against things like homosexuality, if you stand against things like uh, uh, sexual immorality, if you stand against, against uh, many of the sins that the world loves, if you delight in what God delights in and you hate what God hates, the world is going to look at you and there are going to be churches all around here that say you're just a bigot. You're just living in the past. You don't understand the love and the grace of the Father. And love is love. And God is more concerned about your happiness than He is your holiness. And let me tell you something. In this day and time, the righteous Christians were being kicked out of the fellowship. And then He comes to them and these people would say, let the Lord be glorified, mocking them in their life. He'd say, well, just keep living the way you live and let the Lord be glorified so that we can see your joy. And God says to them, just wait. Here's my word to you that tremble at my word. One day, you will see me glorified. And one day, they will see your joy. That's a promise. And this sound that you're hearing of the destruction going on in this world around you, that's the sound of the Lord's doing. The Lord is rendering recompense to His enemies. And so His Word to one group, you keep living the way you're living, you keep rejecting Me and you keep not listening to Me, and you're going to endure harsh treatment and you're going to endure eternal suffering.
but His Word to the other ones, you keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be rejected right now. You're going to be hurt right now. But you keep doing what you're doing because one day the Lord's going to be glorified in it. And they're going to see your joy. And He's going to have recompense on His enemies. And then move on down with me to verses 7 through 9. We get into God's new creation. Notice what he says in verse 7. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Now who is the person giving birth? Well, skip down with me to verse 8 and you'll see who it is. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. And here's basically what he's saying for lack of time. Just trust me when I say this. Zion is the one giving birth. Jerusalem. Jerusalem's being destroyed, right? They're walking away and God's saying, actually what you're seeing is actually I'm bringing a whole new nation out of this. Actually, I'm making a new creation out of this. And the fact of the matter is, is that before labor pains really come upon her, and before she even really feels the pain, ain't this the kind of pregnancy? How many of y'all wish y'all's pregnancy went like that? Before your labor pain came upon you. Before you ever felt the first pain you gave birth. This is the pregnancy of every woman's dream. And yet the only one that's going to experience it is the land of Zion. One day Jesus Christ is going to set His feet down in the land of Zion. And when He does, immediately He is going to establish a new Jerusalem, a new creation which He told us about in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 12 through the end of it, if you want to go back and read a little bit about that. And it starts in a thousand year millennium reign, and then it goes on into eternity throughout uh, for, uh, with new heavens and a new earth. But the point is this, New Jerusalem is going to be birthed so fast that it's going to seem like she gave birth before she was even in labor. And so he tells us a little bit about this new creation. And then when he tells his people about it, he says to them in verses 10 through 13, we have God's motherly comfort. God's motherly comfort. He says to them, rejoice with Jerusalem. Now what are they seeing in Jerusalem right now? Destruction, right? They're seeing smoke and ashes. But yet God says to them, you don't understand. I'm creating something new. And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this world around you and I want you to... How many of you know that this world is going further downhill day after day? It is not far from being destroyed. Let's just be honest. And there are so many people trying to save the planet. (laughs) Trying to save the whales. Trying to save the polar bears. There are so many people trying to save this planet. Can I just tell you something? you ain't going to save it. And God tells His people to look around at the destruction you see and you rejoice. Why? Because I'm creating something new. I'm doing away with the old and the ones that are trusting My Word are trembling at My Word are listening to My Word. The ones that are not just coming to church but are actually here for a... You know, this morning you're not just here to say you went to church. You're here to hear the Word of God. And the question is, are you going to listen? Are you going to answer? Are you going to respond to it? 
And are you going to choose to delight in, in your everyday life, what He teaches you that He delights in? And are you going to choose to turn away from the things that He hates and that He does not delight in? And if you will choose to do that, notice what He says in verse 10. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her. Why? Verse 11, that you may nurse. I love the picture that he paints here. God wants you to paint a picture. I want you to try to picture this here, especially you mothers that breastfed, or even if you didn't, if you if you've just ever fed a baby with a bottle. But I love to watch a baby whenever um whenever he gets done feeding, because most time whenever he got full and he's got enough, they're in a milk coma. I mean, they are content, they are satisfied to the full. And I mean, you can do anything you want with that child because they are in the most satisfied state that anybody could ever be in. And God uses that picture to try to show you the way that He is going to comfort those who are mourning now because of sin, who are mourning now because you see all that's going on in the world around you, who are, are, are fighting sin in your own life and you're in the fight of your life, let me tell you something, if you ain't in the fight of your life, you ain't fighting your sin. I do it every day. Can I get a witness, anybody? <laughs> every day. Every day. And so he says here, y'all are going to be comforted. And I want you to think about the way a baby does after it nurses. That's the kind of satisfaction that you're going to get in this new creation that I'm creating. And then notice what he says next. He says, nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. There is no better consolation than the consolation that a mother gives. Let me tell you something. If you fall down and hurt your knee and you got a boo-boo, is there anything that can make it better than for mama to kiss that boo-boo? I mean... Mama is the one that brings consolation like no other. Let me tell you something. When I got hurt and when I was in pain or when I was crying for something, I didn't run to Daddy. (laughs) Now that ain't to say Daddy didn't love me, but Daddy's love was different than Mama's love. Can I get a witness on that? Daddy's love was different than Mama's love. And so what he wants to paint a picture here is a mother's love. And this is the way that God is going to love you. And this is the kind of satisfaction that you are going to feel whenever you meet Him in this new Jerusalem. And then He says, Rejoice that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. A mother will sacrifice everything in her life. Now, yes, are there bad mothers? Let's be honest, yes. There are mothers that, that, that are sinners that don't get everything right. But for the most part, a good mother will sacrifice everything in her own life to make sure you have what you need, right? I have watched mothers that sacrifice buying clothes for themselves or sacrifice sleep or sacrifice... They sacrifice everything to make sure that from her abundance, their children have everything they need and even most everything they want. And that is just the way that a mother does. But then he goes on and he says next, he says in verse 12, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. There is no peace like you feel than from 
your mother's love and from your mother's comfort. And he says, I'm going to extend that kind of peace to this new Jerusalem like a river. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon her hip and you should be bounced upon her knee. And there is just the point of, of complete comfort and complete joy. You, you, you ever watched a two or three year old and, and the only place they want to be is hold me, hold me, hold me. I want to be on mama's hip and I want to be, my son is still seven years old and he thinks somebody, he thinks he ought to be on somebody's hip. He thinks that's where he needs to be. And I have to tell him all the time, son, you're seven years old. You're too big to be on mama's hip. But there is no better place to be than to be bounced on mama's knee and to sit on mama's hip and there is no greater joy to be experienced. And so we see God's motherly comfort in how He nourishes us and satisfies us and consoles us and causes us to delight in His glorious abundance and gives us peace like a river. And then in verse 14 we see God's assurance. Or actually, let's read verse 13. He says, "...as one with whom a mother comforts, so I will comfort you." So again, you see what He's doing? He tells them, here's where I dwell, here's who my people are, here's who my people are not. Here's the end result for both groups. For the one that loves me and listens to me, here's my new creation that's going to happen in an instant. And then, for those, I want you to understand, here's a picture of what it looks like of the comfort and the joy that you're going to experience. And the way you're going to understand that best is just by thinking about your own mother. And as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you in this new Jerusalem, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And then verse 14, we have God's assurance. This is my last point. He says, you shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to His servants. So there again, here's the thing we have to understand today. Today, with the life that we usually experience in our fight with sin and in the world that we live in, or go back to their context, being everything's just burned to the ground, they're being led into captivity. And God says this to them. Is this a little hard to believe at this point in time in their life? You better believe it. And sometimes in this life, with the things we're dealing with, it's a little difficult for us to believe as well, right? And God says to us, let me assure you of something. You will see it. You will see it, church. So don't quit. Don't stop delighting in what He delights in. Don't stop listening to His Word. Don't stop coming to His church to worship Him with a humble and a contrite heart. Don't stop loving Him the way that He desires for you to love Him. Because you're going to see it soon. It shall be done. And then notice what He says again. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to His servants, and He shall show His indignation against His enemies. And then in verse 15, we're not going to go here, but the first word is for. Why is it for? Because He wants to say, here's how you can know that His hand is going to be shown against His enemies. Because I'm coming like... uh, uh, How do you say it? Behold, the Lord will come in fire, His chariots like the whirlwind. So that's how it fits into the context of this. So what do we do with this? Well, here's the closing. Church, remember this. Religion alone does not please God. 
If all you're doing is coming to church just to say you came to church, but your life is not changed by the Word that you hear when you come, y'all tracking with me? You're wasting your time. Truth of the matter is, you better go enjoy this life. You better not spend it in here on Sunday morning because this is all you've got. You better get back outside of this church and you better enjoy all that this world has to offer because that's your heaven. But for those of you that hear the Word and you're here because you want to know what God has to say and you want your life to be able to delight in what He delights in, I say to you, keep coming back. Keep listening. Keep learning. Keep worshiping. Because your religious acts are actually one day going to turn into the comfort of God in your life. He is only pleased with a broken and contrite heart over sin that comes to Him in humility and faith for forgiveness. And then notice my next point on the outline. The biggest problem with sinners is they hear the Word but don't answer His call, don't listen or don't tremble at His Word. If this doesn't change you, you are going to suffer harsh treatment, you're going to cry out for pain of heart, and you are going to wail in suffering for eternity. That's why the Bible says tremble at His Word. Folks, if that don't make you tremble, you don't understand what it means for your worst fears you've ever had to come upon you. You don't understand what it means to suffer harsh treatment and wail for eternity. And he says here, you better start trembling at His Word. And then next, he says, the ones who hear and answer His call and tremble at His Word with a humble and contrite heart will be comforted in the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to know just a glimpse of what that looks like, think about your mother. Think about your mother's love. And then finally, mothers are a beautiful gift from God. They comfort and love like no other. And I say to you today, honor them well. Honor them well. They're a great gift from God. If you have any opportunity to call her up or go visit with her before this weekend is over, you do that. I don't care what it is, but no matter what you can do, you make sure that you understand one thing. The whole point of the mother is to point you to what God is going to be like to you in the end. And so even if you can't rejoice in your mother today, or you can't go tell her how much you love her, I want you to understand you can look to your father and you can say, God, thank you for the image that showed me just a little bit of the way that you're going to love me. Thank you for the joy that you have for me. Thank you for the comfort that you are going to bring for me. Rejoice over your mother today if you can, and thank God for her and worship Him as you look forward to His ultimate comfort and His ultimate love. I guess if I were to close with an invitation, I would just simply say to you this. We are no different than this group back then. In this building right now, there are people that the truth of the matter is, all you do is come to church. Can can I get real with you for a minute? I'm I'm not much of an ear tickler. (laughs) I'm more about just telling you, thus says the Lord. There are people in this church right now that the truth of the matter is, you just go through the motions. You do your religious acts. But when you leave here, your life is no different than anybody else in the world. Can I plead with you today to tremble at the Word? To tremble at the Word and to answer because He's calling. 
He says to each and every one of you, I have held my hands out all day long to a group of rebellious people that were living in the worst sins you could imagine. And can I say to you today that His hands are still out? Can I say to you today that if you will turn from your sin and you will believe His Word and you will trust in His sacrifice for your sin, can I tell you today that you can be saved? Can I tell you today that you can be saved and one day you can experience the comfort that is so much like a mother that that's the only way you can understand it? The choice is yours. Don't keep coming to church. If that's all you're doing, I'd just assume empty these pews out and you go on back out into the world and you live your life because I want you to have as much happiness as you can because right now is all you've got. But I want you to keep coming back if you want to keep hearing the Word and you want to keep learning what God delights in and you want to keep making the changes to follow Him and enjoy the comfort that He offers.